Hey, I'm Matt Janella, host of the Fire Pit Podcast. But today, I'm on with the boys of Chasing Birdie and loving every minute of it. Welcome back, everybody. We got another episode here on Chasing Birdie. Chasing Birdies. Oh, man. What a voice Chasing you got there, bro. Chasing Birdies. There it is. You hit that high note like a soprano. I'm really working on it, man. You know, with us going to Nashville more and more, yeah. uh, you, I feel really like I can make it. it. When you walk out with those tight blue jeans on with those cowboy boots and that cowboy hat, you fit right in. You don't even look like you can play golf. Right. Ostrich boots, ostrich belt. How about I'm walking across the street and you guys blast the horn at me. I'm walking into the boot store and I'm like, what? Smashville. Anyways, how's everybody doing today? It's Thursday. It's Chasing Birdies drop day. It is Chasing Birdies drop day, and I'll tell you what else dropped. I was dropping a few cans of beer on Thanksgiving. How was your Thanksgiving, bud? Oh, dude, Turkey Day, great. Turkey and football. We sent photos of each, to each <laughs> other of what we were drinking, and we were drinking the Lynx Brewing Ale. Ale. It was delicious. I like the lightness of it, a little crispy. Everybody I gave it to my family loved it. So, again, um, you know, we thank them for being a part of our show. Go check them out at linksbrewing.com. You more of a beer guy on Thanksgiving holiday season or you, you sipping back on that bourbon? I mean, you're, you're a red wine guy. I'm a red wine guy. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, those ales go down so smooth with, with Lynx Brewing. And I can't wait for what's coming with them. Mm-hmm. You guys don't know, but there's a little something in the works right now mm. that we're really excited about. So, again, go check them out at linksbrewing.com. You can pick up some of the beers on there and um, drink them. And drink them. And then Throw drink them, them again and let us know how they taste. But today's episode, Matt. Janella, Matty G. Formerly of, I mean, you ever heard of Sports Illustrated? I have. Um, Golf Digest. Yep. Golf Magazine. Golf Channel. The Golf Channel. And now he has the Fire Pit Podcast and Fire Pit Collective, which is a really cool spot for him to do some of his interviews, tell some of the stories. I think that's the whole concept that he's going for on his podcast, telling stories with your boys around a fire pit. Really cool. Yeah. Um, but this guy, he's seen it all. I mean, he... He got airplanes. I know. Potentially banned. Which, by the way, I tried to find that photo. He's going to talk about this photo that was taken at Augusta in the 98 Masters. Marco Mira. But, you know, I, I didn't find it, so I'm going to have to ask him where it is. Really cool interview. Uh, so we hope you all enjoy this one. Maddie G, Maddie Janella, and my man, he has some good stories to tell, so tune in. As you all know by now, Chasing Birdies is proud to be partners with Holderness and Born. Check them out online at hbgolf.com. Holderness and Born makes fabulous pieces that help you look good on the course, even if your game is not up to par. Check out their new arrivals now for this golf season. Also, head on over to chasingbirdies.com to get some custom Chasing Birdie gear from Holderness and Born. We'll continue to drop these pieces through every season. That's chasingbirdies.com. And Holderness and Born at hbgolf.com. Guys, thanks for listening here on another episode of Chasing Birdies. Ryan Bashauer here with Jonathan Pepe. And our guest today, Matt Janella, very well known in the golf world, travels a lot at very nice golf clubs, puts together great trips, very good editor, fun stories. Matt, thanks for joining us, man. Good to be with you guys. Good morning. Yeah, we're honored to have you. I mean, you are like a well-known 
TV personnel, I mean. TV personality, podcaster now. I mean, the uh-huh. guy's doing it all. Jason Birdies. <laughs> so you, you're in uh, Cali right now? I'm in California. Almost a year ago to the day, moved my family from Orlando to San Diego. We live in Del Mar. We're working in Oceanside, set up the Fire Pit Collective in Oceanside, California, right above the offices of Link Soul, right down the street from Goat Hill Park. Mm. So, uh, anytime you're in San Diego, you got to let me know. We'll go. Uh, we'll go see it up at the Goat. Well, we had John Ashworth on. That that guy is the absolute best. Um, just he's a special human being, as you know. Um, but what they're yeah. doing at Link Soul, I know that you've been a part of it for a long time, is really cool with the Goat Hill Park and tournaments. Yeah, tournaments, the two man events, and all that. So, you know, tell us a little bit of what Link Soul has done for for you. Well, I mean, you know, I did a, a Fire Pit podcast on the history of the Ashworth brand, which, I mean, I don't know how old you guys are, but, you know, I'm 50. I just turned 50 this year. And growing up as a kid in Santa Rosa, California, playing at Oakmont Golf Course, Ashworth, the brand, the golf shirts were everything to me. I mean, Freddie Couples, you know, I, I wore my shirts like Freddie Couples did. I pulled the sleeves up like Couples did. I, I, I knew when, when the Ashworth shirts would hit the pro shop. I had the pros like putting some aside for me. I didn't dry them. I would hang dry them. I just love those shirts. And so cut to, I'm working at Golf Digest and Golf World, and I get invited to play golf at Brooklawn Country Club in Connecticut. And my boss at the time, Jeff Russell said, hey, you want to play? I said, yeah. Who are we playing with? He goes, oh, John Ashworth. I said, John, like John Ashworth, the guy? (laughs) Yeah. And I met him that day. This has got to be basically 20 years ago. And and he was as cool as you'd wish he would be. He was so engaging and so kind and so thoughtful and, you know, asked me more questions than I asked of him. And I walked away going, are you kidding me? Like this? And he shot like 72. He had like this great golf swing. He did it effortlessly. I'm like, God damn. So we ended up staying in touch. At that time, he was starting a company called Fidra after Ashwood before and so he started sending me shirts you know i kept cultivating that relation well now cut to he's basically like a big brother to me or a best friend we play a lot of golf together and for me we're all trying to figure out life in general we're not just chasing birdies we're chasing sort of the birdies of life right and exactly to have a guy like that in your life who he keeps you going. I call him the bumpers in a, in bowling. Like he just makes sure the, the ball keeps going in the right direction. Right. And I watched how he has immersed himself and committed himself to his community. So it goes beyond just like, oh, I want to break 80 or 70. I mean, his relationship with the game and his community and Goat Hill Park and safe. You know, together, we've been able to do some really cool things because he has these initiatives and I have this platform and so he'll say to me, hey, I need some publicity for this Goat Hill Park project I'm mm. working on. Well, he says that, like, I'm in. I'm, right. I'm in on whatever he is doing. And this Saturday, where the fourth annual Wishbone Brawl, myself and the Fire Pit Collective will be covering this event. We're going live. We're going to live stream That's awesome. It. And it's Xander Shoffley and Dean Wilson versus Fred Couples. So it comes full circle. Fred Couples and Will Crop from Oklahoma who played on Latin American Tour. He's the local guy who is the club champion at Goat Hill Park and the course record holder at 10 under. So um, that's going to happen this Saturday. There's probably going to be 800 people out there. That's so awesome. And again, it all supports North County Junior Golf Association, which John grew up playing with Dave Emrick, who's really good friends with Xander Shoffley. And that's also this Goat Hill Park Caddy Academy 
which is based off the Solich Caddy Academy, which is one of the original stories I did at Golf Channel on, you know, how taking kids and giving them opportunities to caddy, earn money uh, at very little cost to the player, but it's all subsidized and funded by people who donate money for the good of the cause, good of the community, yeah. good of the game. That's awesome. It's just a bunch of feel-good stuff. And if, you, if you're hanging out with John Ashworth, you know, you're going to have those opportunities. And Him, Hank Ashworth, the whole Mary, the, the whole family is just salt of the earth. Salt um, of the earth. The, they're the best. And Jeff Cunningham's nephew is an incredible artist, like insane artist and designer who really, you know, the whole family's part of the company. And, and uh, so we got a really cool hub here of creative stuff happening in Oceanside, California and feeding off of each other. And that's badass. fun. It's super fun. You've mentioned fire pit podcast. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about your podcast and what you're doing at the fire pit podcast and fire pit collective? Uh, because it is really interesting how, again, you were with golf channel about two years ago and now you've uh, taken this new venture on, which you're very successful at right now. Well, uh, it's been a bit of a blur, but I mean, you know, in COVID is when we sort of started this podcast. My producer of eight years at Golf Channel, Alex Peggy, and I have traveled the world together. We've, you know, covered the game of golf together. And during COVID, it was like, well, how can we keep telling stories from our house? What's a cost-effective way of still, you know, being involved in storytelling? So we started Fire Pit Podcast, and it was the general concept is tell one story using multiple voices. Um, some of the best stories I've heard or, you know, heard about, mm. I tracked down and, and I've been telling them, I've had to kind of hit pause on the podcast the last three months because I've been so busy with the, with the build out of the fire pit collective, because ultimately the podcast morphed into what has become a company. I started realizing early on at golf channel, there's a lot of inefficiencies with the way traditional linear uh, broadcasting was working. They're charging a lot. And in my mind, under-delivering. So, for, for example, if I went out for mm. five days on a, on a travel shoot and we were shooting sunrise to sunset and we had, you know, we had all of that material, well, we'd come back and end up with a four-and-a-half-minute feature that would air on morning five. Right. Four-and-a-half minutes, that's killing the cow and only eating the filet. It was like, where did everything else go? We've got this, that. Why don't we turn that into a podcast, strip out that audio, make that a digital short, mm -hmm. make those some social posts. It wasn't, that really wasn't the business model there. That level of inefficiency really actually bothered me. It was hard for me knowing what we had and knowing what the viewer was seeing and, and what was going to waste. Like if you clear the table at the end of dinner and nobody ate their food and just, you know, you're, you're knifing that into the garbage can, you feel guilty about it, right? You're like, mm. wow, this is kind of a waste. This doesn't work. Yeah, waste. And so what if you did that every day, day in and day out? Like that starts getting to you. And it got to me. So uh, eventually you got to do something about it. You can't just feel bad about it. You got to do something about it, about it, do something about it. So when Alan Shipnick was feeling the same kind of frustrations at Golf Magazine and Golf.com, uh, he and I go way back to Sports Illustrated. We've been good friends through, you know, 25 years. I said, well, Alan, there is another way. You know, I, there, I, you know, I, I, you knowing what I know about the business and where technology is going and distribution is everywhere now, the walls are down. I was like, why don't why don't we team up? Let's you know let's make this an actual collective. And he said, in I remember the day you know it was probably March of this of this year, 
And once he said in, now it was like one plus one equals three, because now we had multiple content creators covering two different verticals. So he was taking on the pro game. I was taking on lifestyle. We both have podcasts. We both have weekly contributions. We both have long form features we're working on. Now it starts feeling like we're a modern media network. And then we added Ryan French, Monday Q Info on Twitter, who had built an incredible brand doing amazing things uh, authentically, organically. It was like, okay, let's take Ryan French and put him in a vertical called Dreamers. He has a podcast. He has weekly contributions. He's been working on multiple features and docuseries concepts. Then we added Colt Nedler, who's an incredible content creator, videographer, editor, storyteller. Then we added Laz Versailles, who had some business acumen, uh, had written some stories for the Golfer's Journal, uh, had an incredible passion for the game. And we put him in charge of a vertical called Culture, in which he's telling more and giving better perspective of what the game is like through the eyes of someone who's a minority. You know, like mm -hmm. we started figuring this out and saying, okay, I think we're on to something. And we got some investors who believed in us. We're doing, trusting our instincts telling great stories, uh, doing it on multiple platforms at different lengths. And that is the Fire Pit Collective, and we're going to continue to grow. That's really that's yeah. a really cool story. I mean, again, and, and for, for a lot of people that don't know your background, you started with Sports Illustrated, went to Golf Digest, and then the Golf Channel. I mean, those, again, at, when I was a kid, Sports Illustrated, I couldn't wait for Sports Illustrated to show up. I, you know, Tiger Woods in the front cover or Golf Digest, you know, you go through the, the magazines and, and then onto the Golf Channel, uh, which became a huge part of Ryan and I's life in the golf world. You know, you wake up in the morning and, and you have that. You know, can you tell a little bit about your background and how you got involved at Sports Illustrated? Were you always a lover of the game of golf or did it kind of happen whenever you started photographing the Masters and things like that? My goal and my dream as a kid, in fact, I used to record tapes you know, make up baseball games, record them on tapes at night and leave them for my dad to listen to in the bus in the morning. Like I want to do radio. I was going to be uh, the play, play announcer for the San Diego Padres. That was always my dream job. Yeah. And even in high school, I would get internships at local radio stations. I would, I would read the news. I would write the news. It was just, you know, I just loved the medium of radio. I thought it was fairly romantic, the idea of like painting pictures for people through words. So I was into that. And in college, I did that. I played uh, golf in high school. I had an uncle who was very good at golf, who influenced me a lot as it relates to the game. I worked at golf courses. Uh, if I wasn't working at a radio station, I'd work at golf courses. Most of the time I was doing both picking ranges, parking carts, changing grips, the whole thing. So I, I always loved golf early morning. I loved golf late afternoon. I mean, th those things mattered to me. Again, going back to Ashworth and all that stuff. So Cardinal Newman High School golf team, then I played at St. Mary's College back prior to Tiger Woods, which meant, you know, a five handicap could play Division One college golf back then. Mm -hmm. Now you got to be a plus five, but, you know, that was a different time, mid-90s. You know, they, they needed bodies. Mm -hmm. yep. So – I feel lucky to have had that experience. I worked at a you know, radio station. And then when I, I got an internship at Sports Illustrated, I had carried cameras for photographers at 49er games in college, and which I thought was amazing to get paid to be on the field. That's cool. So right. uh, that was my entry point into Sports Illustrated when I moved to New York out of college, chasing dreams. And I felt like I was going to work at ESPN. Uh, I had an interview at ESPN in September of the year I graduated, 1995. And in the meantime, I, I got an internship at SI. And 
And I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. I'm at Sports Illustrated and in Time Life Building in New York City. I, I would steal some of the letterhead and some of the envelopes. And you know, this is so my buddy's letters on Sports Illustrated letterhead being like, you know, acting like, oh, look at look where I am. You know, it was pretty amazing. And then they offered me a job in the photo department as a junior photo editor because I was like, you know, because I thought the internship was going to end and they were going to. So I, I ended up not doing the ESPN thing, stayed at Sports Illustrated, was a junior photo editor, you know, editing film, bags of film from events that ended up not mattering in the in the weekly publication. Again, going back to the inefficiency efficiency thing, you know, they were covering so many games that might or might not have mattered with film and sending it all over the country and back to New York. So I would just edit these bags of film and I was one of the few people who liked golf. And mm-hmm. when the golf photo editor decided to, to to do something else he trained me to do his job in milwaukee open 1996 tiger woods first week as a pro was my first week as the golf photo editor at sports That's so, oh my god so cool <laughs> oh my god can you believe that I mean, that's, that's, that gives you chills because you were a golf nut and now all of a sudden it's Tiger Woods. Is that the event where he said, well, world, I guess I'm here. Or what did he say? Just prior to that, as he, as he turned pro, basically the press conference was hello world. I'm, yeah. you know, here I, here I know. am. And it was Milwaukee open. He had a hole in one in that tournament. Yep. He goes on to multiple times in those sponsors exemptions years and Vegas, and Disney. And I've actually written him a letter way back where I've done, you know, now I've done a ton of photo shoots as a photo producer. So I would take pictures for photographers if they set me up with cameras. I was the horse racing photo editor, the golf photo editor, and I, I helped the college football and pro football editors, you know, on, on Saturday, Sunday mornings. And, and cause you know, golf would sort of end on Sunday. We closed right. the golf plus section on Monday, Monday morning, but I was working with, you know, the best writers, the best photographers in the nineties, sports illustrators mattered. Because the internet, you know, the internet didn't at that time. It was just still coming. For a news weekly, I, you know, my friends and I, you know, incredibly talented people coming out of out of SI at the time. You know, Grant Wall, Chris Ballard, Josh Ellie, Steve Russian, Jack McCallum was there, Rick Riley. I mean, oh, Rick Riley, yeah. These are the writers that we were working with on a regular basis. So I'm reading the best writers. I'm looking at the best images. I'm at the, the the hub of sports news and I started realizing, well, I, you know, instead of being a photo editor and sort of producing the images, and coming up with picture ideas or editing the pictures, I, I want to write. So I went to Columbia Journalism School uh, while I was there, got the job at Golf Digest, director of photography for Golf World and Golf Digest. So again, Tim Rosefort, John Hawkins, Jaime Diaz went to uh, Golf Digest at the time, Dan Jenkins. Now, again, still working with the heavyweights of golf. The journalism. best of the best. Yeah. The best of the best. And I was hiring Walter Yost, Tom Furore, J.D. Cuban, Steve Zerley, photographers who were, you know, top of their game. So that went on for 11 years. And while I was there, I finished my degree and kept bugging Jerry Tardy for for an opportunity to write because I had had this degree. And, and uh, eventually he gave me the job as the travel writer in 2006. He called me in his office and what do you think about, you know, I was single. I loved to travel. I'd played a lot of golf. He's like, do you want to be our travel writer? And I come up with some ideas. So I came up with the, you know, the ambush, which is telling buddies trip stories. We did away game, which was, you know, journeys to the best golf destinations mm-hmm. Q and a with athletes and celebrities about why they love the game. And I did that for, for seven years. And that led to being the, you know, the golf channel mm-hmm. morning drive lifestyle guy. And 
So I went photography, writing, and broadcast. And so the toolbox was like pretty diversified. And, and in the meantime, I had a lot of a lot of sense of the business. I watched a news weekly become irrelevant. I watched, you know, sort of a, a monthly struggle with, you know, trying to stay relevant in, in this modern world of internet and distribution. And then I watched a traditional linear broadcast station struggle with the walls being down of distribution and the cost, the, the heavy production cost they had as a burden versus the low production cost of garage band production companies like, you know, No Laying Up or Barstool or mm-hmm. these other. And I was like, man, I was envious. I want to be nimble. I want to be efficient. I want to be effective at storytelling. And here we are. And you tell some good stories and we're, we're going to get into that. Hey, real quick, because I don't want to forget it, but when he was at Sports Illustrated, what people don't realize is there are no flying planes above Augusta National during the Masters. Ever. Um, well, there was, but Sports Illustrated kind of <laughs> got him in a little trouble there. So c- can you fill people in a little bit behind the no-fly zone now at Augusta National? So, well, I mean, you know, it was very common back well before drones, obviously, one thing Sports Illustrated was famous for was what we call double trucks. When you open up the magazine, the leading off section to start the magazine, boom, you see these three full spread images. Uh, and that's the way they kicked off. It was Sports Illustrated. So the mm-hmm. cover and those three opening spreads and any opening spread of the game story always were like an opportunity to have an impact with a still image. And so in ways to try to create incredible imagery, worthy of a spread in Sports Illustrated with no text on it other than a caption. It had to be something special. So a lot of times photographers would get up in airplanes and shoot out the open door of an airplane. They would put fisheye remotes at the top of like the grandstands at the Kentucky Derby or, you know, I mean, anything to try to make it have an impact. Mm -hmm. And you remember famous shots of like, you know, tough hits, you know, the guys like John Beaver and Al Thielmans and Robert Beck and, these guys were incredible photographers. These are the best of the best, top gun. Mm. So every photo editor was trying to, that was a big sort of badge of honor to get a, your sport in the opening images. And there was a photo editor who Jimmy Colton who ran the whole leading off section and he was tough. You'd have to really come with something strong or something special. So the easy way would get a photographer up in a plane and go cover an event. Well, Jim Gund was a famous photographer who loved shooting out of airplanes. He'd strap himself in. They'd take the door off and, you know, he'd shoot under the wing of the, of the little plane. We hired a plane to shoot the 1998 Masters final round last hour and a half. Well, Amen Corner basically picking up the lead group as they go uh, into 11. Mm-hmm. And here, I'll never forget, I'd flown back. That night, Saturday night, with all the film after the Saturday third round of the 98 Masters, and I drop the film. I, I stay in New York. I go in the next morning, you know, editing the film for the first few days. Turn on the Masters, watching and a lot. Get to the last nine holes, and all in the broadcast. And Jim Nance in the booth. You hear this, and I'm going, holy shit! Is that? I think that's our plane. You know, because it was. So loud, he was right on top of the action. I mean, you could hear him, he was kind of coming and going. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. Well, sure enough, O'Mara winning putt, 18th hole, arms up, long shadows, the whole gallery, you know, the every everybody up on their up on their feet, and it's just an, and he's right on top of the action. It's an amazing photo. If you go back to the ninety-eight masters coverage of Sports Illustrated, you'll see it. And sure enough, a couple of days later the magazine comes out 
and full truck, Jim Gunn, Sports <laughs> Illustrated, and get a phone call from Glenn Greenspan, you know, uh, who ran Masters. He said, oh, Matt, you know, that's a beautiful photo. That's amazing. If you don't mind, we'd love a couple of print 16 by 20 posts. We'll put them up in the blog. If you ever do that again, we'll, we'll pull your credential, you know. Oh. And, and <laughs> I had this conversation with Glenn like five times in my career where, you know, because at that time you're trying to push the limits. You're trying to get the, the reader something they haven't seen before. Right. And an amazing photograph. Well, every year after that, every year I tried to hire a plane. I had, I was going to Atlanta. I was going to, you know, South Carolina airports to try to get someone who would get in a plane to fly over Augusta National. And it turns out they had like essentially closed the airspace over Augusta National. I mean, they, they shut it down. From that point forward, you're not going to hear planes flying over Augusta National for the plane of the Masters. Wow. not going to happen. That's an awesome story. It's so cool. I mean, she was <laughs> like... I was doing everything, still trying, but I couldn't, couldn't get anybody to do it. That is one of the most unique places on earth, I swear. It is just, you You walk in there, and first off, they have it down to a science with the merch tent. Oh, my gosh. But just the vibe, man, when you get on that course, uh, it's, it's... It's heaven. Uh, That's it's what people heaven. do. It is heaven. Augusta National is heaven. It is incredible. I, the first time I went was 1997, so I get the photo editor job at the end of 96. I obviously go to the 97 Masters. Back then, you could get credentials for, you know, I got my uncles and my dad and my uncle credentials to, to carry cameras for sports illustrated photographers, even though they had no intention of actually carrying cameras. They just wanted to get in. So I'd get them, I'd get them in as photo assistants. I'll never forget my uncle Bill and I walked in because the media could get in an hour before the patrons at the time. I don't know what, I don't know what the policy is now, but we could get in an hour early. So we go in and it's empty. There's not a lot of people. It's probably the Tuesday morning of, of the 97 Masters week. You see it on TV and you think you know what it is until you get there and you're like, oh my God. Sun mm -hmm. was coming up through those trees in the first fairway. Both of us, my Uncle Bill and I, we got tears in our eyes. Yeah. Because if, if you're a golfer and you're into the soul of the game and kind of the history, and if that doesn't hit you, then you're actually not a golfer. Right. Nothing will. There's only one other golf experience, Matt, that I've had that I put into the surreal Augusta golf history uh, moment, and that would be Pebble Beach. And you just walk around Pebble Beach and you just think about, I mean, Jack Nicklaus, Tom Watson, I mean, everyone, everyone has been through those hollow grounds, right? And there's not very many golf courses in the world that all those guys have been on. Yeah, I mean, it's the Pebbles, the Pinehurst. The Augusta National, uh, you know, obviously Cypress Point is incredible. Uh, then there's also Royal County Down, La Hinch, Royal Dornick, old, you know, the old course at St. Andrews. Obviously, it's in a league of its own. Uh, you know, Waterville, Royal Melbourne is these cathedrals of golf. They exceed expectations. You think, and then, oh, by the way, Bandon Dunes at sunset on the 16th green. Mm. You know, you get that interaction of sort of Mother Nature what's happening along coastlines or in the trees or in the dunes and, you know, long shadows, early morning, late afternoons, you know, good friends or family members or mm -hmm. something special, big events, chasing birdies. We're, we're chasing those moments, things that like go through you. You know what I mean? That like, right. Oh, what, what, what's going on here? This is, there's something extra, something's coming out of the ground here. Yes. Uh, that's not, not normal. Yeah, it's 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 that the experience that golf, you know, you get on a golf course, obviously everyone wants to play well, but I think 
as I get older and continue to play golf, I'm moving more towards how playing the game, where I play it, who I'm with, how that affects me in terms of an experience as opposed to me going out there and saying, you know, I need to shoot 70, I need to shoot 68, 75. That goes away now for me. Uh, obviously, I still try to play well when I can, but I think what I'm trying to say is with you, it's about that experience. It's about being with a good group of friends, sitting around afterwards, having some drinks, telling stories, and, and being being at some of these top golf courses and, and not so much worrying about what you shoot. Does that make sense? You're in good company. That is the evolution of the life of a golfer. I think back to myself. I see my kids. I, I think back to myself like, oh, right, you know, I wasn't thinking about architecture, or who mm-hmm. built it, what year it was built, or why it was built, or why this – I was trying to break 80. I mean, yep. and if I didn't break 80, I might have broken a club. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and then, then you mature, you you realize the money you spend in the game mattered more. It was like, oh, right. okay, well, I can't spend this money and be this pissed off. Like, what am I doing? And be miserable. It's miserable. You have to look yourself in the mirror and say, okay, what is this really about? And I don't know that there's one moment or one round or one day or one, it's a maturation of who you are, not, not only as a golfer, but as a person. And um, you start realizing that time well spent with good friends and, and people who matter in your life is actually what matters. And then if you can put it on, these cathedrals of the game or even i'm spending three to five days at goat hill park now at 35 dollar green fee but i'll tell you right now there's no better vibe there's no better soul there's no better energy there's no better community there's no better golf course in Mm -hmm. terms of 4500 yards par 65 some of the best players in southern california are frequenting this place not only to have all of what I just explained, which is the word you used, which is experience, and which, which is what we're really chasing. We're chasing that experience, that feeling. I can't believe I live down the street from this place, a place where John Ashworth literally is in the dirt every day, making it better every day. And I think that's the evolution of golf in America. Now, if you go even bigger picture, that's what's happening. I think us as a country who plays golf is starting to realize that it's not about hard, difficult, or Kiowa Ocean, or Doral Blue. Or it's about like playability, accessibility, affordability, fun factor. And yes, there's always going to be expensive teaching. The laws of ec- economics are in play. It's mm-hmm. supply and demand. But we have more options at the uh, entry point now than we ever before. And that includes Top Golf. And then there's the junior programs that are evolving with PGA Junior Leagues and Youth on Course subsidizing kids and the Caddy Academies. We're maturing as golfers at mm-hmm. the same time as the game is maturing in America. It means the architects are maturing and understanding, like, thank you, Mike Kaiser. Thank you for showing us there's another way. Mm-hmm. You know, the retail golfer actually matters instead of the top 0.02% who breaks 65 on any golf course any given day. It doesn't matter what it is. Right. The whole thing is evolving. I feel lucky to be able to, uh, you know, not only be a part of it, but to help tell stories around it. You're spearheading that, that movement, and hats off to you. And I was lucky enough to actually play golf with you, Matt, in uh, Farmington, Pennsylvania at the grand opening of Shepherd's Rock. And uh, what a show that Nemecolon puts on. They're a sponsor of our show, and uh, that place is spectacular. You need to come back because they have now built a pool that is called the Peak. You should see this thing. 
I mean, it is incredible. <laughs> but I was fortunate enough to play with you and some other buddies. And, you know, we got to feeling each other out. And we felt comfortable. And you told a story about a local Western Pennsylvania golf legend uh, that <laughs> gives me chills. It's so cool. You were fortunate enough to see the video as well, which is awesome. But if you can go ahead and tell people a little bit about that story with Mr. Arnold Palmer um, in 2016. Yeah, that was 2016. So it was, it was just uh, months before he died. You know, Morning Drive was going to be at the U.S. Open at Oakmont. And Golf Channel started by Arnold Palmer. Arnold Palmer is a big part of whatever it is we were doing as a company, as a, as a network. And the word was that he wasn't doing well health-wise. And leading into the open, you'd hear these rumors like, oh, oh no, is, you know, is he going to be okay? And you just didn't know. And the question was, was he going to come to Oakmont from Latrobe? And we had gotten word on early that week that he was not, he was not coming, uh, that he wished everybody well that he actually was feeling better, but that he was going to stay in the trobe and watch from a distance. We made that announcement on Morning Drive, and, and Damon Hack and Gary Williams and I, actually, we've since gotten together, and I, I recorded this with Doc Giffen, Arnold's longtime consigliere, on the Fire Pit podcast. So if you want kind of the full story with multiple voices and people who were there, you can hear it on, on the Fire Pit podcast. But anyway, we also heard that Friday morning that we were going to not be on the air that day there was some weather delays it moved back tea time and we couldn't be on the air when fox was on the air so they canceled morning drive so we had like the morning off well gary williams took it upon himself to call Corey Britt, arnold's longtime sort of right-hand man Corey said yeah come on up why don't you come visit mr palmer he'd love to see you, you can have some lunch with arnold we were like what <laughs> gary goes, we're having lunch with arnold palmer we go, oh my god we were like kids at Christmas. We were like, oh my gosh. So we, we, we left, you know, it's probably an hour and a half drive. We yep. left like three and a half hours early. We were like, we were not going to, you know, we, we got there. So we were sitting around in the parking lot. We're cruising the clubhouse. We were just like, you know, literally kids. We're Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. So um, we have, we have lunch with Arnold Palmer watching the U.S. Open. Again, all this is told in great detail, but we end up after lunch, with some great stories of lunch. And after lunch, Doc says, you guys want to come over to the office? You know, we had taken pictures with Arnold. We thought that was kind of it, you know, amazing, which would have been amazing. Yeah. And um, he said, come on to the office. We walk, oh yeah, listen, we, we, you know, we fall all over each other trying to get across the street, drive over to the little house, which was the office. We go in there, Doc greets us, gives us a little umbrella, takes us around. There's a little mini museum. He's walking us around. And um, we're looking at beautiful stuff, you know, trophies, Letters from dignitaries, you know, uh, models of all the airplanes he ever flew. I mean, just things that, and I see this belt. It looked like the original Open Championship belt that Young Tom Worth won three times that they retired. There's a really significant belt. And you said the Hickok belt, you know, 1960 Hickok belt. I said, it's under this glass case. I go, Doc, what is this one? Oh, you don't know about the Hickok belt? I say, no, I don't. Oh, that Arnold tells the story. You're going to have to ask him next time. Mm -hmm. You, you know, you see him because it, it's one of his best stories. I said, oh, well, great. I said, what's the gist of it? You know, I worked at Sports Illustrated. I've never heard it. He goes, well, it used to be for a minute of the year, the Hickok Bell. They'd bring all the athletes to New York. And so he kind of gave us a modified version of it. And it was like, oh, that's amazing. I never heard. So we go into amazing workshop, all the clubs, Arnold stuff. And it's across from his office. And I hear Doc say, Arnold, do you mind if I bring the boys in? And Arnold says, sure. Tell him to come on in. We walk into Arnold's office and, you know, again, we're in 
Wow. We're we're in the king's castle and now we're in the king's quarters. Right. Like we are in this sitting down. I mean, we are so far deep into this. I mean, again, Santa Rosa, California, he's my first autograph golf. You know, this is unbelievable. And he's behind his desk and he's reading the newspaper and he's just, come on. He puts pair to you. Have you guys not been in here? No, I think Gary had been in. We're talking. We all take our seats. I said, do you mind if I take some? Go right ahead. I take a selfie with a pond. I'm like, oh, my God. Take a picture. And then I hit record on my phone and I said, uh, Mr. Palmer, a doc says, you got a good story about the Hickok belt. You know, just so happened that Doc said you got to ask Arnold. So I said, well, next time I tell him, here I am. We're, I said, what about the Hickok? He goes, you don't know about the, the Hickok belt? I said, no, I, I don't. You know, Doc said, ask. well, in 1960, Arnold Palmer wins the Masters in the U.S. Open, Cherry Hills. He gets invited to the dinner where Rocket Richard, Rocky Marciano, Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris, you know, these are the guys who were, if you won Sportsman of the Month, mm-hmm. you got invited to event at the end of the year, you know, and Arnold Palmer. And uh, he, he gets in the elevator to go up to the award ceremony, and, and it's Maris, Mantle, Marciano, Rocky Richard, and Roger Maris is like playing grab app, like messing around with guys, hey, Rocky Marciano, he does like the boxing clothes and the thing and the butt. You know, and he goes, oh, if Rocket Rashad, you know, and he goes, and he looks, and here's Arnold Palmer. He goes, Arnold Palmer, what the fuck are you doing here? And Arnold says, telling the story, he goes, I was embarrassed. I didn't know what to say. I mean, I'm in amongst these other athletes. I, I was just mortified. And boom, the elevator opens, and they go take their seats. The pomp and circumstance happened. The events are happening, and they finally get to the end, and, and they say, okay, the winner of the 1960 Hickok belt, is Arnold Palmer. I mean, a golfer in 1960 getting the, the sportsman of the year. Unheard he, of. Unheard. He gets up and gives, you know, gives things. He says, I, I had no idea. He didn't have a speech prepared. He gets up and does it. And on his way back, he has to pass Roger Maris. And he said, I couldn't help but try to get back at him. So I said, hey, by the way, Roger, what the fuck are you doing? Here? <laughs> <laughs> So oh we obviously dropped. I mean, I, I hit the floor. I mean, we were in hysterics. You know, Arnold Palmer tells us that story. One of his most famous story, you know, like he flips the script on the New York Yankees on baseball, you know, apple pie, you know, hot dog. Like Arnold Palmer had brought golf to the forefront. And, and in that moment, I think that's the moment in which Arnold Palmer golf mm-hmm. becomes sports. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it, I think Arnold Palmer obviously took the game and gave us what we have today. He gave guys like Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson and all, all the guys today the opportunity to make with the man. Obviously, Tiger took it to another level. But, you know, without Arnold Palmer, what do we have? I don't, I don't know. I, right. I, I would not. I don't, I don't want to know. Um, but for him to tell us that story, and then, you know, Damon followed up with whatever happened between you and Roger. You know, he called me a couple months later, came down to Bay Hill. We played a bunch of golf together. We went on to be great friends, which, of course, they did, right? I mean, right. you know, it's a couple couple alphas pushing each other, you know, the best of their game. My, Maris obviously goes on to hit 61 and 61, so it didn't really bother him that Arnold, <laughs> Arnold got the best of them in 1960. And guess who won the Hitchcock belt in 1961? Roger Maris pretty cool pretty cool set of circumstances and and had that whole thing on film and and that story again in his words is on that podcast so you can go back and get more context in the whole thing ultimately four months later arnold palmer died and yeah. that was my first autograph 
of working at Sports Illustrated and Golf Digest and, and Golf Channel and getting the opportunities I had because of Arnold Palmer, because of what he did for the game and the Golf Channel, and to be able to go and have that intimate uh, moment and mm-hmm. get that time with him. It's become more special every day, every day that goes by. You know, that's something that, that'll always be one of my top three stories of my life and career and that, that whole situation. So that's epic. And a really cool part about that video is, you know, people can go over to fire pit collective to check it out. But the really cool thing about the video is that he has that pink sweater on Yep, sitting behind his desk. He is who he is. He, he was, I think about how many times he came in the studio or I was able to do, he was as charming and engaging and thoughtful. I mean, Arnold Palmer wasn't perfect. Nobody is. But he was pretty amazing at being Arnold Palmer, signing autographs for an hour a day, spending upwards of $75,000 a year, sending people back the request that they sent to him, wow. autographs, uh, you know, handwritten letters to players after they win. I mean, you think about today, you know, we genuflect over the fact that Rory McIlroy is, is, is like not wanting to fly private by himself. You know, like, what an amazing guy. You know, like, oh, that's right. amazing. Which is, by today's standards, it's like, wow, that's pretty thoughtful for a mega millionaire. You know, mm-hmm. that's pretty good. Well, how about sitting down and signing autographs for an hour? Yeah. I think that that has been lost a little bit in our golf world right now, right? People don't realize that the fans are who make you, right? Mm-hmm. And I will never forget uh, Padraig Harrington. We were at the U.S. Open. Actually, it was 2016 um, when you were here. We were walking inside the ropes with with Bob Rotella, and he was working with Padre at the time, and we were walking from 16 to 17 T at Oakmont. And, I mean, I've never experienced, obviously, inside the ropes, but people are just shoving everything in his face, and Padre signed every single thing. And we walked to the back of 17 T. That T box kind of sits in the back at Oakmont. And I said, do you ever get sick of that? And he said, the day I get sick of that, is the day I need to start worrying. You know, look, I mean, Phil Mickelson is not perfect. Trust me. You know, he's he's got a lot of things that, you know, if people knew everything there is to know about Phil Mickelson, you'd be like, whoa. Uh, but, I mean, at the end of the day, he's really good at being Phil Mickelson. Yeah. You know, after the U.S. Open 2006, after he, he gave it away, I watched, I watched. He signed autographs for hours. It was almost like, it was therapy for him. Like, almost like, is this the way he's dealing with what's going on? Is this connecting with the fans? You watch how he, he knows what's going on and giving kids balls and sitting down and having conversations. Hey, you know what? It's better than not doing it. I give him credit for the effort, man, because he became very quickly the anti-Tiger. Mm-hmm. If Tiger didn't, Phil would sign an extra hour. If Tiger didn't do the press conference, Phil would do the press conference for twice as long. Right. If Tiger was notorious for not tipping, Phil would over tip. Like, you know, he realized like, okay, you know, Tigers are righty, I'm a lefty. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll just do everything. There's a place for me. And and that was the Arnold Palmer role with Jack Nicholas. Like he couldn't outplay him or he couldn't beat him all the time. You know, certainly the records indicate who's the better golfer. But I mean, they have their place in the game as people who are connecting with the fans, the people who actually pay to play or pay to watch or whatever. It does matter. Of course it matters. Yep. And without it, without the fans, and without the, the, the frenzy around it, they, they have nothing. And now social media makes it so easy for oh. people to object their opinions, so to speak, on anything. I mean, uh, which I don't necessarily know if that's a good thing. Definitely makes for some good entertainment. But, you know, someone posts something up and 
you know, it allows someone just to voice their opinion and everybody's entitled to opinions. But back in that time frame, you know, talking about Jack and Arnie, the outsider's opinions weren't always heard just because it wasn't available. There's good and bad to all of it. I mean, you know, and you see the good and you go, wow, the efforts to try to help somebody or raise money or people in need or have a pressing question or connecting. Some guys are really effective at utilizing the platform. I mean, like Phil, I mean, Phil has adapted to his, you know, tremendously. Max Homa obviously has made a huge name for himself, not only what he's doing on the course, but what he's doing off the course through various platforms. And I think, I think you're going to see a lot more of that. We're doing a digital series with Bubba Watson, uh, where he plays municipal golf and tries to break the course record while he's playing with his buddies. And it's, it's going to really put him in a different light. You're going to see a whole different side of Bubba Watson. I think a lot of these guys are developing they have they have the knack they have the opportunity and the ability to utilize you know distribution and platforms yep. and and storytelling's around who they are and what they are Rory's amazing at being Rory McIlroy because he's just so so honest and and forthcoming and open uh, about who he is and what he is and what he's feeling and what he's going through if you guys watch formula 1 drive to survive it's my new latest session but the storytelling and access and, and opportunity to get into that sport it's like hard knocks of Formula One. I had no idea about Formula One. Now it's all I can watch. I'm taping races because of the storytelling around the people who are involved in the sport, not only just the drivers, but the infrastructure. And the business of the sport is fascinating. That's where this is all going. A deeper, richer experience, again, the same word, of, of how we're consuming you know, the world around us. Yep. And that goes for if we're playing golf at Godel Park, or like you say, even all the way up to Pebble Beach, Bandon Dunes. Bandon is a master at is the experience. What Mike Kaiser figured out is I want people to not just come here once. I want them to come back. What mm -hmm. a concept. Well, look at the discovery properties. I mean, those things are as attractive as it gets. They flew in the face of like the recession. I mean, they, I was like, well, this doesn't really make sense. But rich people didn't really not become rich during the recession. They might have been a little less rich, but they still wanted great experience mm -hmm. right you know that's the high 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 end and thank god we've got the low 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 end yep. like goat hill park and we have everything in between right it's full circle matt i love it well i'd love to get you up here to west virginia i've been telling hammer i know he just had knee replacement but uh yeah come up here and yeah. play pikewood national in morgantown obviously you being an experienced golfer and, and a thrillist so to speak i think you would uh, find it amazing you, you would love it i mean i would love make that trip with Hank. I always tell John, I joke with John, I go, you know, I think my favorite Ashworth is Hank Ashworth, yeah. actually. I mean, <laughs> Hammer. They're, yeah. they're all, the Ashworth family is, I, I say they're angelic. They seem to have a greater cause. They just do things in a way where like, man, uh -huh. I, that's just way cooler I could ever do anything like that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. We're going to transition this over to the last segment of our show, Matt. Uh, obviously, it's been a pleasure hearing these stories. And Jonathan's going to ask you, this is called our tap-in segment, which is brought to you by Bettinardi Golf, makers of fabulous putters, wedges. Check them out at bettinardigolf.com. Uh, Jonathan's going to ask you four or five different questions here that require your quick response. So here, here he is. Let's roll into it. This is, I'm starting right out of the gate with a tough one. Favorite golf course? I'm not good at being short, as you probably have already figured out. But, um, <laughs> no, Josh Smith. And his brother, Matt Smith, started Flag Bag. They take flags from golf courses and turn it into a golf bag. 
And it's an amazing concept. It's an amazing business and amazing, cool thing. And I thought long and hard. And it takes kind of six or seven flags to make up a bag. So I took this year and and I said, I have a soulful connection to these seven courses. And it's Pebble Beach. So the course I played with my dad after high school graduation. I'm a Northern California guy. So Pebble Beach, for all the reasons we've already discussed, is an incredible experience. It's, It's one of my flags. Goat Hill Park obviously for what I've just described and, and my, the community I live in now and blueprint for where the game is going. Mm-hmm. That's another flag. Waterville in Ireland is, I, I go there for the father son. I played a lot with John Ashworth there. Hope to go there with my son one day and play in that tournament. So uh, the Waterville is, is a flag. La Hinch is one of, you know, probably my favorite course in Ireland. I just love everything about it. The town, the routing, the holes, the experience. And then Ardglass. Ardglass to me is like the Goat Hill Park of Northern Ireland, not far from Royal County down. There's magic in that land. I've gotten to know people in that community and it's just incredible. The oldest clubhouse in golf goes back to I think the 1400s. Jeez. So um, so Ardglass, Waterville, La Hinch, Pebble Beach, Goat Hill Park, and then you know, I named my son Bandon for a reason. Bandon Dunes, it just, it's just, it's my place. You know, I covered the development of it. Honored to be friends with the Kaiser family and got to hear Mike Kaiser's philosophy on life and golf and, and business. So Bandon Trails, and Cor- I'm a Cork Crenshaw guy, so Bandon Trails is, to me is one of the great routings in golf, one of the most amazing walks. Dunes into the trees, back out to the dunes. It's epic. So Bandon Trails and then Bandon Dunes, the original OG David Kidd, you know, in his 20s from Scotland, brings Scottish golf to America in the form of Bandon Dunes and sets the world on fire. Playing that golf course in late afternoon, Bandon Dunes is probably the most important flag in that group of flags that I'll that I'll carry one day. So we got that's seven awesome. favorite golf courses. That's and that's why I said that's a tough one because you've played so many golf He's courses. Played everything. And obviously, I'm leaving out a lot. Of, you know, I I love Piners number two, and that's mm-hmm. epic. There's others out there. You know, National Golfing from America, Fisher's Island, Cypress Point. You know, old course at St Andrews again is is in its in a league of its own. I love a lot, you know, it's, it's hard not to, but if, if when, when push came to shove and I tried to figure that was a great exercise, it's kind of like your Mount Rushmore of golf and how and why. So my Mount Rushmore essentially is my flag bag bag. Mm-hmm. And those, those seven, those are meaning a lot to me. All right. I love the passion. Favorite club in the bag. My putter. Oh, flat stick action. You do putt well. I remember that. You, do, you putted well at Shepherd's Rock. Well, I got a new one now. It's a Scotty Cameron. John Ashworth had it in his backyard and he has a little backyard putting and I was putting so well with it. He goes, man, you should put it in your bag. And I've seen putter for 13 years. I don't change putters, but it's a, the circle T circle L Scotty Cameron and the circle L apparently from what people have told me means that Cameron lost a bet and paid it off with a putter and put a circle L on it as a loss. Wow. And Ashworth had it. And Ashworth said, you can borrow it. You need to putt with this because I was putting so well. You know, I own it, but you can, you can use right. it. And I have, this has been my greatest year of putting in my life with this putter. Oh. It's a little longer than normal and they'll see the lines well and it's balls going in the hole. I love that story. That's, that's a cool story. Circle the circle L. L. All right. Biggest success in the golf world. I think the sliding doors moment for me is, you know, getting the job as the golf photo editor at Sports Illustrated and starting the same week as Tiger Woods. Like, talk about stars aligned. It mm-hmm. wasn't the week before. It wasn't the week after. It was same the week. same week. It was Milwaukee Open. I, like everybody else, 
in this industry has ridden the coattails. He's a machine. He is a 80, machine. <laughs> 82 and 15, 82 and 15, and that's not counting what he did as an amateur. Right. Like, spite of making all the money and all the fanfare, like, look what happens. These guys get quick runs. They got great success. And then life gets in the way. Tiger Woods, the only person gotten in his way is himself. Mm-hmm. Yep, you're 100% right on that. <sighs> Me and three buddies are, are deciding on a golf trip, recommended golf trip for a group of guys. Band of Doom. That's what everyone says. Let's go. Uh, you know, people give me shit. They think I'm on Bandon's payroll. Like, there's never not been a time that I've left Bandon that I didn't have to leave my credit card. Like, people think I'm like, I, it's like, okay, have you been? If you go, then you'll realize how, why I, I love the place. But everybody who goes is like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Yeah. Um, it, you know, five elite golf courses plus a short course and a putting course in, you know, southern coast of Oregon, variety, service ease of, of sort of logistics uh, in different places to eat, you know, different things to do that. I don't know. I mean, you can't beat it. So band of dunes, everyone. Book we got to go. We got to do it. We can't thank you enough, my friend. We, this could go on for, I mean, Jonathan, he can sit here and talk to the wall. So, I mean, <laughs> uh, it could go on That's forever. And, and we're going to have to catch up with you when we come out and visit Johnny Ashworth and the boys at, Link, at Link's. So we'll mosey on up the steps to your area. Standing invite, get you some fire pit swag and, uh, and some links sold. We'll head up to Goat. We'll have an incredible day. We'll play some music. We'll wear T-shirts. We'll, you know, there'll be dogs running around. We're gonna play, play a great golf course. We might have emergency nine. We'll go over to the playground, three-hole short course. We'll, you know, it's all here. I can't wait, man. We're, we're definitely gonna take you up on that, Matt. And um, man, I wish you the best with the podcast. Definitely check out the podcast. And we appreciate you coming on here for this episode of Chasing Birdies. Thank you, boys. I, I appreciate you, and uh, and hope to cross paths soon. Maddie G. I think he's still talking right now. He was awesome. He was awesome. And um, I laughed because my man, I asked my man his favorite golf course, and we got seven of them, which they're all good. <laughs> um, but Maddie G has some incredible stories, and he could have kept going, which is cool because maybe we'll be on his podcast one day. Maddie G, if you're listening, bud, bring the boys on over the fire pit. And we can chat. Hey, well, actually, no, I, I do look forward to linking up with him in San Diego, uh, which is definitely going to happen in 2022. Great guy to be around. Great cause. Great everything. So we hope y'all enjoyed the this Arnold episode. Palmer story. Dude, huh. Like that gives me chills. I mean, that's in our chills. backyard, bud. In the backyard. So you guys got to keep watch. We're going to drop a little banner sesh coming out soon 12 days of christmas maybe 12 days of christmas we're gonna highlight maybe some some, some gifts. gifts that you want that i want yeah because we need those maybe some gifts that y'all need to maybe get your game better get your mind right and also make sure you in the meantime until we release that uh, make sure to go over to chasingbirdies.co um check out the new swag that we got up uh holderness and born the ward sweater the anderson shirt mm. but they've been selling that that sweater I've been saying from day one, the Ward sweater is where it is at with Holderness and Board. Yeah. That thing is so comfortable. Uh, we've had a lot of people buy that. And yeah, man. yeah, they're asking for different colors now. I mean, bud, can we just hold on? Let us get through this first. Yeah. And then uh, new T-shirts coming up. There's a woman's T-shirt. There's a men's T-shirt. The hoodie. They're as soft as it gets. So make sure you go on over there. Check it out. Also, Chasen underscore birdies on Instagram. Go like us on Facebook. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell your family's friends. Tell your mom. Everybody. All right, but that's 
<laughs> That's something that never gets old. Anyways, guys, thank you for listening to this episode of Chasing Birdies. Thank you to Evo and his team over at Simpler Media for putting this together and Rachel London for all her help on the social handles. Y'all have a good day now. Mm-hmm.